My name's Carrie. I'm another one of the co-pastors here with Neil and Tim. And our story this morning is about uh, Jonah and the whale, which is a story for those who grew up in Sunday school. It might be one you're familiar with. I realized I have not heard the story since I was a child. And so I went back and read it and I was like, this is a really weird story. We're gonna hear the first half of it today. If you wanna read more, the book of Jonah is super short um, in the Bible. And so you can look at the rest of it. It gets way weirder after where I'm gonna stop. Um, but I just, uh, I'm gonna go through because I realized like I didn't remember a lot of the story and I know we didn't all grow up in Sunday school and so we're just gonna have like a little Sunday school lesson with pictures for a moment to take you through the story so we're all kind of starting out on the same page. So there once was a man named Jonah and God spoke to Jonah and said, Jonah, I want you to go to the city called Nineveh where everybody's sinning, everybody's breaking all of my laws and I want you to go tell them that if they don't shape up, I'm going to destroy the city and destroy them. And Jonah was like, I don't want to do that. And Jonah did not feel like being God's prophet. So he found a ship that was headed the opposite direction of Nineveh. And he got on that ship and sailed away. And uh, God being God knew where Jonah was and that Jonah was running away from what God wanted him to do. And so God sent a storm to hit this ship and to shake it around. And Jonah was not the only person on the ship. There were all these other presumably innocent people on the ship as well. And they're getting tossed around by this terrible storm and these waves. And all the people on the boat are really scared. And so they start crying out. They all have different gods that they're praying to. And they all pray to their own gods. And they somehow come to realize the problem is with Jonah and that he is the passenger that a particular god is angry at. And so they go to Jonah and they're like, hey, what's the deal? What do we need to do to make this storm stop? We're all going to die. And Jonah said, you're right, it's my fault. I really like pissed my God off. The only thing you can do is throw me overboard. That's the only way to make the storm stop. And these guys were like, that seems like that will make our gods angry if we just like kill a guy. And so they're like, we don't know what to do with that. We don't want to throw you overboard. So they decide to try to row to shore and to get everyone to shore safely. And the storm just gets worse. And God just makes the winds and the waves bigger and the boat's about to break apart. And so these other men are like, okay, I guess we just got to chuck him. And so they throw this guy overboard <laughs> into the sea. And conveniently, the Bible tells us God had a large fish waiting right there to swallow Jonah up. So this fish literally swallows Jonah, and Jonah is then in the fish's belly for three days and three nights. And it's this perfect place where he can't go anywhere, can't do anything, except sit there and think about the fact that he ran away from God's will for his life. So he's sitting there in the whale's belly, and at some point in those three days and three nights, he starts to pray. And he tells God, you know what, my bad, yep, forgot, like you're really powerful, I'm really sorry, okay, whatever, if you get me out of this whale's stomach, I will do whatever you want me to do. That made God pretty happy, so God made the whale spit Jonah out, and he landed on dry land. And once he was there, God said, hey, you ready to go to Nineveh yet? Jonah was like, okay, I guess I'll do that thing. So Jonah goes to Nineveh. And while he is there, he walks through the city streets and he tells people, hey, like God's not happy with the way that you're living. And if you don't shape up, he's going to kill everyone. And so that's basically that. I'm going to pause. There's more to the story. But what ends up happening there is the people in Nineveh change their ways. And they're like, oh, my gosh, we made God mad. We don't want to die. And they all change their ways. And the sort of funny part about that is that Jonah gets mad and he's like, 
well, I really wanted them to die. And God's like, but I don't want to kill them. And it gets real weird. So if you want to read the rest of the story, read the rest of the story. Um, but I'm going to pause there and just kind of reflect on this first part and particularly about the nature of God in the story um, and how I, for one, find God's role and the way that God is described in the story to be pretty problematic. Um, and I also just wanted to do two side notes. Um, one, what we've been doing at Branch for the past few months is uh, this narrative lectionary, which is basically a calendar that different pastors use um, that has various Bible stories like set on each Sunday. So you can work through like the whole Bible over the course of a year and hit like major points. And so this was the Bible story assigned for today. And I don't know how Tim, how Tim and Neil feel about this, um, but the thing I find very challenging about that is that obviously there are things going on in our world that don't always nicely correspond to the Bible story assigned for that Sunday. So I'm looking at the story of Jonah and the whale and I'm like, the election's Tuesday, like this is a very weird thing to be talking about, like what can I bring out of this um, to speak to this particular moment that we're in? Um, and so I decided that the way I want to go about that is to focus on um, the nature of God in this story and the way in which I feel that uh, the description of God and who God is and the role that God plays is very problematic, very oppressive. Um, and I also, my second side note is that for those of you who know me, I really have a difficult time using only masculine pronouns for God and hearing those pronouns used for God. And I think that when we ascribe a particular pronoun that some people in the population have to the divine, then it, then it is sort of like, well, these people are more in the image of God than the rest of us. Um, and that just sets us up for all kinds of problematic power dynamics throughout history. That being said, I'm actually going to be using some masculine pronouns for God when I am talking about this oppressive idea of God in Jonah's story, and also the oppressive idea that I had of God because I grew up on these stories. I grew up hearing about Jonah. I grew up hearing about God as a he, and it really shaped my worldview. So you're going to hear me using some of these masculine pronouns, and I want you to think about how it's setting up this particular kind of idea of God and how that functions in our world. So, as we just heard, Jonah's story starts with God being angry. He's angry at Nineveh. He finds this random guy who didn't sign up for anything. And he's like, hey, I want you to do this thing. And Jonah doesn't want to do the thing. And so Jonah tries to exercise his own will, his own agency, and do something else. And God overrides that and threatens to kill not only Jonah, but other people if Jonah doesn't do what God wants him to do. And I hope that we can all see like that that's a problem, right? Like like if there's this message that is particularly as children were taught in Sunday school like okay, you better do what God wants you to do or God will kill you, God will kill other people, like bad things will happen if you don't do this thing. That's a very toxic narrative, right? Um and so I just I want to like hold that for a minute and think about how Jonah's story along with a lot of stories in the Bible present this idea of God as this unpredictable dictator who sets his mind on something and then uses any force necessary to bring his will about in the world. And this particular idea of God is just so oppressive and so different from my own understanding of who God is that again, it just makes it really difficult to know what to even say this morning about the story um, to move us in any particular direction. 
So I decided to start by thinking about what the, what the Bible is, um, how it functions in Christianity throughout history and today, and, and sort of how I've wrestled with it and found, continue to find meaning in it in a particular kind of way. And I think the reason it matters that we focus on the Bible and these bizarre stories, even on Sundays like this, is because the Bible influences people and has influenced people throughout history. It's influencing people this week as they vote. People are voting based upon their understanding of this book, and that matters. And so it really matters that we figure out what we think about the Bible, what the Bible means, how it functions in our own understanding, in our own faith lives, so that we can speak to the people in our lives who also value the Bible and are making really profoundly important decisions based upon what it says. Um, and so I think that what matters here is that we figure out how do we make this intellectual move from this God who is portrayed in Jonah's story and throughout the Bible to a sort of God who exists in the love and the justice that we try to embody as a community and as individuals um, in the world today. And the way that I make this jump in my own life is something like this. I believe that the Bible is a compilation of writings and of stories written by people who lived in ancient times and that in these writings and in this storytelling, they were doing their best to make sense of who the divine was in their place and time, just like we're doing today. And obviously, just like us, they were influenced by their own political and cultural landscapes and by their own desires to survive and to believe that their God was invested in their thriving. So they told stories to explain things. They told stories to help teach their children about a God who cares for them, a God who has great plans for them, a God who's powerful, a God who sides with them over their enemies, and a God who becomes angry and wrathful when they don't do God's will. And it sets up this idea, if, if you do what God wants you to do, then everything's going to be okay. Right? So that's the flip side of God will kill everybody if you don't. Well, but if you do do what God want to, wants to do, then you have some control over what's happening. You have some agency, right? If you just do the right thing. And I think it's easy for us today to look back on these stories um, after thousands of years of scientific discoveries and technological developments and anthropological studies to say that the people who wrote these stories and told these stories just got God wrong. And I think that it's easy to forget that this is what people did, like without those scientific advances, without technology to explain like why floods happen and why wars were lost or won or why slaves inexplicably were able to escape to freedom. They said it's because of God. God is the one who is behind those things. God's the one who moves those things. And that those were important stories and important narratives that they held and passed down to make sense of their world. And so I think there's two intellectual dangers that we can make this, or dangers that we can um, sort of move in this morning. And the first is to look at stories like Jonah's and to believe that they speak some sort of literal perfect truth about the nature of God and who God is. And the second danger is that we completely disregard these stories. We say that there is no purpose in reading them, that they're just, they're only oppressive and there's nowhere to move from that oppressiveness into hope in our world today. 
And I think that kind of if we move too far in that direction, we can think that there is no way for any of us to know or say anything definitive about who God is. And I think the funny thing about that is that, of course, people are constantly making claims about who God is um, and who God, what God wants and who God is voting for in this election. Um, and, and that's why, you know, there's just, there's just a lot of ways that people talk about God and manipulate God for their own means. So the question that we're um, faced with today is, is there a way to get God right? Is that even something that is possible? And if so, how do we do that? What does that look like? And while I certainly will not say, oh, I have the, an I have the answer. I know, we, I know how to get God right. That's not a thing. Um, but I do think that um, the longer I live, the, more, the older that I get, there's this sense of hope in me that as I'm continuing to educate myself, as I'm continuing to figure out what it means to embody love and justice in the world, there's this sense that I'm coming closer to understanding the heart of who God is and how God works in my own story and my own life in the world. Um, so on that note, I just wanted to share um, kind of a story about my own process with understanding God, making sense of God um, in light of being raised on Bible stories like this. And I have to say that unlike Jonah, I spent the majority of my like childhood and like adolescent and early adult years not running away from the will of God, but desperately trying to figure out what God's will was and what God's plan was for my life. Um, and I do mean desperately. Like I really, really, really wanted to know. Um, and one of my favorite Bible verses, you can click to the next slide, Neil. Um, one of my favorite Bible verses was um, the verse that Eric read to us um, from Jeremiah. And that's that, uh, for I know the plans I have for you. And this is a verse that I would just read and think about and pray about. And just had this sense of like, God has this plan for me. It says it right there in the Bible. Like, and obviously this was written about me, right? And so I just had this sense like, God has a plan for me and I have to figure out what it is. And if I just believe enough, if I just pray enough, if I just like do the right things, the plan will become obvious. I will start thriving. I won't be lonely or sad or any of these things. Like I will just be like doing the thing and the plan will be happening and it'll be great. Like if I only believe, if I only seek God hard enough. Um, and so what's interesting about this, oh, and of course, at this time of my life, when I was thinking about God like this, thinking about God's plans, God was very much a he in my mind. It was this masculine, it wasn't like a man in my mind, but it was definitely a masculine divine reality that had something to say about me and about what my life means and where I should go. And so I grew up on these stories of God telling people like Jonah and Moses and Mary and Paul about his plans for their lives. And I always just wondered, like, when, when's it my turn? Like, you know, like I'm trying really hard to do this faithfulness thing. I'm trying really hard to believe and pray and do all this stuff. When's it my turn to know, like, what, what the plan is? What am I doing? What's my college major going to be, God, to, like, do the thing that you want me to do? Um, and I would just spend, like time, particularly my junior year of college, I would spend hours like just praying like, God, I will literally do anything. Like, just tell me what you want me to do and I will do anything. I will, I will go to the other side of the world. Like whatever you want me to do, tell me and I'll do that thing. And for reasons I just didn't understand, I uh, just heard nothing back, got nothing. Like it was just like speaking into this silence and this void and just being like, 
God, you have this super willing person. I'm not like Jonah, like I'm ready to do the thing, right? Like, just tell me and we'll do it. Like you and me, let's let's do it. Um, and just got nothing, like, like just silence on the under, other end of that. Um, and so I think that I just had this sense, it was that junior year again, that I needed to just start moving in this direction of like what I thought God's will might be for me and thinking about like, okay, what is the most extreme like act of love and sacrifice that I can imagine like in this Christian context? And so I was going to DePaul at that time and I was involved with the Catholic campus ministry there. And so I ended up converting to Catholicism because I was like, okay, these are like the original Christians, right? Like this is the thing. So I'm going to be Catholic. So I did that. And then I was like, okay, how can I be like the most Catholic? And so I was like, I'm going to be a nun. Like, that's just the thing I'm going to do. Um, so I ended up very seriously um, going to convents and visiting nuns and just became really convinced, like, this is what I need to do. I need to leave my home. I need to leave my family. I need to leave, like, any pursuit of, like, a job or money or anything and just, like, be God's only, right? And just do this thing. And so I visited like some amazing communities. I met some really beautiful people. Um, and I was just like, this is the thing. And it wasn't like when I went, I didn't have a sense of like joy. It was more just like this resolved, like sort of almost sadness, but just like, well, like this is the sacrifice. Like this is the thing I have to do to like make God happy because God won't tell me another thing. Um, so I'm just going to like go with this plan that seems like a good one. And hopefully God will be happy with this sacrifice that I'm making. Um, there was only one catch, which is that most uh, religious orders will not allow you to join them if you have any school debt, which I did because I was just graduating from undergrad. So uh, yeah, I know it's real weird, but they talk about it as like a discernment kind of thing. And so it's basically like, well, if you're really serious about this, then do what you need to do to get your loans paid off and like continue to discern. So I actually don't think it's a bad thing. I think it's like a good thing to be like, are you sure this is the thing you want to do? It turned out to be a really good thing for me because I had to kind of put that like God pleasing mentality on hold and like do actual work, like actually outside of college and like the intensive like campus ministry experience there and be like, oh, there's like this whole world and there's like all these things I adore doing like I got to be a foster parent and I waited tables and like was like I love waiting tables I might literally do this for like I really genuinely love doing that um, I ended up in grad school like all of these things just started happening when I was basically like putting that like I have to do this thing for God on hold all these things just started coming into my life that like I genuinely loved and that brought me deeper joy than this thing that I was like assuming was like put on me by God. Um, and so that was just like a really interesting experience to start living into my experiences instead of waiting for the experience that was not yet mine. It was like being present to the things that are mine and that are here and starting to figure out like, wow, like there are things I really love that like aren't beyond me, but are right in front of me. And like, investing myself in them feels like something sacred and something good. Um, and I just, it was a very like long process over several years, um, but particularly last year, I just had this realization that like all this time I'd spent searching for this God that was outside of me and above me and telling me the things to do or rather keeping those things from me, um, that that God had actually been inside of me all along. And that I was just like looking in the wrong place. Um, so you can go to the next slide. And so I just, this is um, 
a quote that just has just really captured sort of my transformation, like in my own thinking about God. And just in the last year, we did the feminist theology group. Like there were just so many things that helped me realize like this idea of this like masculine presence, like telling me this thing to do that I just couldn't in any way relate to. Um, it just wasn't a reality of like who God was like in my life. And then in fact, God is a reality that's as close as my own heartbeat. And she is in my rage over injustice. She's the wisdom that shows me how to comfort and hold a hurting child. And she reveals her plans to me and the ways that she leads me into these things that bring me joy, just because like they're the things that are in my life and like they make me really happy. And like just this sense that I have the freedom to like move towards those things without feeling like something else is imposed upon me, like that freedom brings me joy. And in those things, I experience God. And I find that um, the more that I move in the direction of these things that bring me life, of these things that I just genuinely love, the more I experience God and the more I experience her purpose and care for my life. And the more I seek her, the more I find and know myself and like who I really am. And I've come to realize that one of the scariest things about the ways that lots of people read stories like Jonah's and take those things at face values and those descriptions of God at face value is that it teaches people from the time they're children that there's some sort of oppressive God reality that is always and only outside of them that has this will that he wants to impose upon them. Like it's just, it's just this like very problematic early formation um, that so many people get. And it's difficult, it's always been difficult for me to understand how there can be this God in the Bible who threatens to destroy people who are just like having a rough time, right? Like we, we've all been there, we've had rough times and we like make choices that are not maybe the healthiest or best choices for ourselves or other people. And, and yet to have this idea of God in the Bible that would respond to that not out of like mercy and care, but like with wrath and violence and, and this power of destruction. Like I, it's been so hard to figure out how do I reconcile that idea with God, of God with this idea of God who is also for the oppressed and the marginalized, which is certainly also in the Bible. It's like, how do I hold both of these things to be true? And what do I do with that? And I just, I just have to say, I don't believe God can be both of those things. I don't believe that God can be both the oppressor and the savior of the oppressed. I don't think that's real. And I think that to believe that we have to hold on to both of those ideas of God is in itself oppressive and a problem. And so for myself in my own spiritual journey, as I've stopped running after this like patriarchal father God that has this plan for me, and as I've gotten away from this idea of like, am I doing the right thing? Like, how does God feel about this? Oh my gosh, what am I gonna do with my life? What, what's the plan? As I've gotten away from this like top down, top secret plan idea of God, I've started instead running towards the experiences that I love and the people that I care about in my life um, and the things that excite me and bring me joy and towards the things that allow me to just pour love and justice into the world and to receive all of those things back into my own heart and in my own life. And I believe that God is in all of those things, in all of those experiences, um, and that God is in the joy and the purpose that they bring me. 
And I think that God is continuously writing these new stories in and through each one of our lives and our experiences. And in those stories that God's writing in us and in our lives, God is revealing who she or he or they are and have always been. And the last thing I want to say is that I think the Bible matters a lot um, because it shows us where we came from and it shows us what happens throughout history when people get God right and when people get God very wrong and then try to project that idea outward into the world. And I think it matters that we actually know these stories, even if we do like a silly Sunday school lesson, that we know these stories about Jonah and like the stories that are in there because there are a lot of people who know them very well and take them very seriously. And I think that if we know these stories, if we think about them together as a community, we take the ideas of God that we find in them and then we hold those ideas up to our own limited understandings of love and justice. And we find that in some way we are more pro-justice and love than God is in the story, then there's probably something wrong there, right? Like if we're like, wait, like God's not being just enough, God's not being loving enough, then there's probably something a little bit off about the way that God is being portrayed in that story, right? And I think we can say that. I think we can say like, there's something off here. And like, I believe, we believe that like God is for justice and God is for love and peace and all of these things. And that other descriptions of God are not accurate, are not who God is. Um, and so I think that the idea that I want to throw out there um, for us to kind of take with us this week is that God is still continuing to speak and that the Bible, like I know there's a lot of thoughts around the Bible and like, is this the end? Like, is this all that can be said about God? Is it all here, like between these two covers? And I would say, no, I would say God is continuing to move and speak in all of these truly profound ways in each one of us, in this community, in the world. And that it matters that we think about what kinds of stories are we telling about God? When we speak of God or don't speak of God, what are we putting out there? Like, how are we contributing to this narrative in our culture about who and what God is, about what God wants and desires for humanity? How are the ways that we're embodying love and justice conveying our ideas of the divine to the world? And I think that really matters. And so I would just invite everyone um, as we move into this week, as we deal and cope with this election and everything going on, that we just really feel empowered to contribute our own voices to this narrative of God building, God speaking, God naming in the world and thinking about what do we have to offer to that? How do we bring our own understandings of God to this place, to this particular moment in history? And how do we speak that in scary moments? How do we speak into the narratives around the Bible, around politics, around all of these things and speak our own understanding and our own experience of the divine into those things? So I just ask us to hold those questions and those thoughts with us as we go forward. Amen.